Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. So this is episode 25 of Feckin' Metal, a quarter of a century, kind of, you know, 25. Um, and it's also episode 0.75 of my Black Sabbath arc, Arc Sabbath. How's that for being really annoying and non-committal with things I've promised in the past? Uh, this one... You're going to meet some people that you didn't meet last week, one of whom you'll definitely know. It's Uncle Steve, who I mentioned there earlier uh, from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. And another person you may or may not be familiar with, it's Joe Sigler, who runs the Black Sabbath fan site, black-sabbath.com, which has been going since 1995. To just call it a fan site is to do it a disservice. It's an absolute encyclopedia of information about Black Sabbath, the most complete of its kind in the world. I'm convinced Joe knows more about Black Sabbath than any person who is alive or has ever lived. Um, and he is just a mine of information. So um, that's Joe. Steve, also, you'll know for having a podcast. He's a fan of Black Sabbath, but not as much of a fan as he is of Iron Maiden. But I thought it'd be interesting to just give some other voices um, a go as well. Podcasters, people who have different opinions to people I've previously interviewed and I have interviews from so he has differing opinions and in typical Steve fashion maybe some controversial opinions as well um, about Black Sabbath so I just want to get a mixture of different outlooks and opinions on this episode but before I get to that part where I'll introduce you to those two talking heads who'll be on on the arc uh, I'm just going to discuss firstly um, my competition I was running there on at feckin metal cast on twitter and that was the fm points competition which is running for a few weeks there um where i was basically asking questions most often related to my every t-shirt i have t-shirt of the day post and the first person to answer was awarded the points the points i would determine based on how difficult the question was at least after the first few questions anyway um so if i felt it was a quite a difficult question it might get 20 or 15 points it wasn't particularly difficult maybe 10 or 5 um and a good few people participated in it and uh it was a good crack for a few weeks there so the winner is to receive a feckin metal custom-made t-shirt now i've put in an order of these with a manufacturer and i thought that was going well and i thought i'd have them by now but there were some issues along the way to do with Brexit, uh, actually, and um, also suppliers of this company aren't deemed essential, and uh, it's just pain in the hole, basically. Um, but it, there might be light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, there will be. If not, I'll come up with something else. But I also got some custom-made mugs, and they have the podcast artwork on them. I'm fairly happy with them. They didn't come out absolutely perfect, but they came out fairly well. So, uh, congratulations to the people who won or came in the um, who placed in that contest so I awarded prizes to first second third and fourth so the winner was uh, I'm gonna read out her full um, Twitter handle for once it's at Donna underscore Ochi Neri and that's uh, she's more commonly known as Alejandra or Alejandra 109 which is the finishing points or the points that she finished on at the end of the FM points competition so Alejandra ran away with it there um, and she will receive, hopefully, a feckin' metal t-shirt in the post, if I can get this bloody thing sorted. Uh, second is Andy, Andy Byrne. Uh, third is Wayne, or Wayne Maiden, from Wayne's Iron Maiden Podcast. And fourth was Metal Bruno 1. And all of you have, well, Metal Bruno didn't didn't um, 
get back to me with his details, which is fair enough. But the, the top three uh, places in that competition have been sent a feckin' metal mug in the post for your efforts. And Alejandro, I hope to have a t-shirt out to you. And I'll be doing another competition soon because I put in a larger order of t-shirts than just one, of course. And I have several mugs and I have a couple of other ideas about things I'm going to do because I really enjoyed it. It was a bit of a laugh. Nice to interact with a lot of different people and I hope more people. And if you're listening to this now and you saw all those tweets and you felt like you couldn't join in, please do join in. It's not a click or anything like that. It's open to everybody. I'd like it to be much more inclusive. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a laugh, bit of crack. Might try and put some more structure on the next one uh, instead of randomly firing out questions at random times of the day. The last couple of days of questions I did structure and it was a bit better actually because um, it was more competitive. So congratulations to and thank you to anyone who participated in that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, now to open this week's episode i chose the song psycho man by black sabbath which is obviously a lesser known song it was um, one of the studio tracks they included on the reunion album which was out in 1998 where they did those birmingham shows in 97 with the original lineup the first time in uh, very well a long time i think the first time since live aid back in no sorry that's not right first time since 1992 ozzy osbourne's no more tours tour his first no more tours tour not to be confused with his second no more tours tour which has been postponed indefinitely um but yeah so it was the first time they had got together in five years anyway and uh it was the start really of the the proper black sabbath reunion with um with the four lads as uh Roy would say uh, but i also say lads because i am irish he just picked that up because he lived here <laughs> it's like when when um uh, Josh on Talking Maiden said deadly so often I felt I couldn't say it because it would seem like I was impersonating him but I actually used to always say deadly and now when I say it I feel self-conscious so thanks Josh and Roy um, no I'm joking of course deadly um, but yeah that was a song from Psycho Man or sorry it was a song called Psycho Man from Reunion it's okay um, I just thought it was an interesting one to open up with there some nice riffage going on there it's unmistakably Tony Iommi lyrics written by Ozzy Osbourne uh, for that song and um, and for the other one uh, Scary Dreams which was also included as the other studio track just written by Osbourne and Iommi the only two songs in the Black Sabbath catalogue to feature that writing credit um, yeah and uh, the cover of that album obviously features a young Jack and Kelly Osbourne as well um, but those songs came about when Black Sabbath did a couple of studio sessions with um, Bob Marlette, or Marlett, uh, who was also known for doing albums with, well, later he did albums with Alice Cooper, he did Brutal Planet and Dragon Town, and he did Iommi's solo album, uh, and he randomly enough did Tracy Chapman's debut album out in 1988. So, um, a varied uh, producer discography there from our Bob, but um, this... Uh, this kind of was the start of Black Sabbath trying to do some new studio songs, and it took a long time for them to ever get around to doing a proper album. As we all know, it wasn't until 2013 when they did the album 13. But they did try again in 2001 with Rick Rubin, um, and it didn't really work out either. Uh, but that was Psycho Man anyway. That was their first attempt at a new track with Ozzy Osbourne since... Uh, well, first attempt at a new track, I suppose, since 1979. First release of a new track since 1978. And it rode. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
that's about it, yeah. So just um, before I introduce you sorry, to the new guests, so I've already explained who they are. It's Uncle Steve and it's Joe Sigler. Um, Joe Sigler's name is written S-I-E-G-L-E-R. If you see me writing it in posts, uh, ignore the first E in his name. That's what he says. That's his direction about how to pronounce his name. So I will, and I have, and I will in future. Uh, that's going to be about it for my little intro piece. So... I am going to introduce you firstly to a man who you all know, probably I've been on his podcast a couple of times, he's been on mine before, and his name is Steve, or Uncle Steve, and he runs Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone, which is now also a radio show, you can check that out as well, uh, info about it on his Twitter account. Uh, But here is a taster of what you can expect from Uncle Steve in the Black Sabbath arc. I say it's unusual it's probably it's probably very common for an 80s kid but um i'll say this first when, when i talk to people about like my top favorite bands of all time i will say priest maiden aussie and then i'll say but with priest comes halford or fight or whatever he does with with um maiden comes bruce and blaze and with aussie comes sabbath because I got into Maiden and then, you know, Bruce released solo and then I got into Priest and then Rob did solo, but Ozzy was already solo. And so for me, I never really, I got into metal probably or started getting into, you know, this in, in the mid eighties. And, you know, there was one of those tape clubs where you could order 12 free cassettes. And one of those one of those cassettes I got was Bark at the Moon and I really liked it. So that was kind of my, where I heard Ozzy. And the first thing I ever heard from him, cause, cause that would have been 85 or 86. And not too long after that tribute came out. And, and at that point, I don't know that I had ever tried to even listen to Black Sabbath, but you listen to tribute and you've got Children of the Grave, Paranoid, Iron Man. I think that might be it. So I heard, I heard tribute and absolutely Randy Rhodes did something to me that Bruce Dickinson did. He ruined his uh, predecessor for me. Hearing Randy Rhodes play Children of the Grave and then going back and listening to Tony Iommi play it. I'm going to I'm going to probably offend somebody when I say some of this stuff here but All right. So there you have Uncle Steve with his somewhat controversial opinions, as promised. Um, He elaborates on that point later on. I cut it off there. Um, But he does get back to his thoughts about Randy Rhodes, Tony Iommi, and others, and and various different things to do with Black Sabbath, as you would expect on a podcast about Black Sabbath. Um, That's Steve, and Steve will be featuring in The Ark alongside Melissa and Alejandra, and Rye, and Philip from episode 0.5. 
Uh, and my next guest will feature prominently as well across the arc. And his name is Joe Sigler. And of course, I've explained to you what he does. He runs blackhyphensavit.com. He is the custodian of the information on Black Sabbath. That's what I'm going to christen him. Joe, the custodian Sigler. Uh, so here's a bit of Joe, just to give you a flavor of what you can expect over the coming weeks from Joe. Personally, Dio was my first. So despite there at that point, there was two albums with Dio and eight with, with Ozzy, and there were no other singers in the equation at that point. It was just Ozzy versus Dio. And I preferred Dio because he was my first. But, uh, but as I always tell people, that doesn't mean the other stuff sucks because that's the, it, it's almost a death question when you say, who do you prefer? It's like, okay, I prefer, I prefer X, but it doesn't mean Y sucks or is unworthy. You know, it's like, I, I, I do that. I, <laughs> I just posted it again the other day, but about a year ago, I, I managed to come up with a top 20 all-time Black Sabbath list. I managed to whittle down the entire catalog into 20 songs. And of course, the biggest insult I get from people is, A, why do you have non-Aussie stuff on there? Um, <laughs> and B, it's like, what about song X that is their preference? I'm like, well, I didn't say it sucked. It's just not my top 20. about that meeting I had with Tony Iommi in 2013. The reason I bring that up was um, in that meeting, one of the things I talked to him about was demos. Um, and I said, now, to my knowledge, the only unreleased demo that they agreed to ever release was the Tony Mark, excuse me, the Ray Gillen version of Eternal Idol. Officially, officially oh wait a minute there was the demo from born again the the fallen made it on the deluxe edition but but i'm convinced we would have never seen that had it not already been out there as a bootleg it was all it was already in circulation it was it was called eighth star but i i told him about demos to his face and i said look i know this isn't your thing i know you're not fond of it you view them as lesser material but i guarantee you Fans will eat this shit up. You remember the 11-11-11 press conference when they announced what eventually became 13 and they did that press conference with the award and they all were wearing the black jackets and the, the red flowers and whatnot? Okay, I was made aware aware of that about three days before the public knew about it because of my website i was basically ordered if you say anything we will never talk to you again right um 
they they made me aware because obviously my site is what it is. I needed to be prepared for that. So I knew a couple had a couple times, and I was asked when I was told about it. They 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 actually asked me my opinion as a fan sometimes to say what do you think about blah 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 right. Um, so once they told me it was happening, they said, well, what do you think of that? And I said, I'd rather have a new album with Tony Martin. Thank you. Okay, so that's a little taster from the interview I did with Joe recently. And there you can see the breadth of different topics I discuss with Joe. And there's a specific reason for that. And it was the longest interview I did out of anybody I spoke to. And the reason was because Joe has direct access to several of the key members of Black Sabbath. And it's as a result of having designed websites for members of Black Sabbath, going back to 1997, when he designed a website for a previous Black Sabbath member, Cozy Powell. And Joe explains that now. Well, it started with Cozy Powell. The first one was in 1997. Um, I'm sitting at my desk at work and I get a phone call and it's bloody Cozy Powell at my job at work. He wanted me to do a website for him. He was the first one. And uh, first off, I wondered, I didn't believe it at first. (laughs) I didn't believe it at first. And um, we ended up doing it. And Cozy Powell, apparently someone must have talked me up to Cozy. Or he saw what I was doing, which even in 1997 wasn't anything compared to now. I had progressed a little in two years, but not a lot. Um, it, and then Bill Ward got in touch, and I did one for Bill Ward. Um, and over the years, I, I also hooked on with with um, Geezer Butler, and I helped with some stuff with Tony. Um, but it all became piled on because it basically I did the one with Cozy, got a reputation from that. Then Cozy died, which sucked. But um, um, then Bill Ward and Bill Ward would talk me up and, and at least I assume that's what happened. And basically then it, it just came on with Tony or Geezer and then Tony. And there you are. That was Joe Sigler. So this, I promise, is the last teaser episode. Next week, we're going to go into it. It's going to be the Black Sabbath arc proper. We're going to start at the early 70s albums and work our way from there. Uh, So next week, I'm looking to cover the first three or four albums and comments from my guests that I have gathered about those albums. Now, this isn't a documentary where I tell you the story of Black Sabbath and they formed in Birmingham in the late 60s. And all of that and you know Tony Iommi lost his fingers everybody knows that and that is well documented elsewhere it's well documented in Ozzy's autobiography I Am Ozzy it's well documented in Mick Waugh's biography uh, Symptom of the Universe Um, it's somewhat all right documented in Tony Iommi's book with which has the longest title of any book ever in the history of time Uh, My Journey oh sorry Iron Man My Journey Through Heaven and Hell with Black Sabbath and the war pigs that made me paranoid uh, by Tony Iommi. And um, then it's it's pretty well documented in um, the other book as well that I was talking about, the uh, How Black Was Our Sabbath. So we don't need to go through all that. You can look up the Wikipedia page if you want. Uh, it's pretty well documented there as well. It's a fairly in-depth page. But what I would like to do is uh, I'm going to talk very little, and you're going to hear other people talking quite a lot, because I'm sick of listening to myself talk, to be perfectly frank. 
And now to contradict that completely, for the remaining 20 minutes of this episode, I'm going to talk. Uh, but it's probably the last you'll hear from me for the next few weeks, other than to provide the links between the comments and to give a little intro and a little closing comment myself on each episode. But this is more about what other people think about Black Sabbath, and I'm here to provide the links, to provide the context and let other people speak. Um, so, yeah what i'd like to talk about is stuff that i won't get to cover on the arc and that's stuff that's been happening recently with black sabbath in the news and by god has a lot of stuff been happening in the news recently with black sabbath so i'm going to start with the reissues of heaven and hell and mob rules now everybody knows they were reissued recently um on vinyl and i found it strange that they were reissued on vinyl but you'd only ever hear about it from like tony iomi or geezer butler uh, you wouldn't hear about it from official Black Sabbath sources, but you would hear about the reissue of Volume 4 from those sources. That's a topic I get into in depth with a couple of my guests on the arc, so I'm not going to spoil anything here. But yeah, you had both of those albums being reissued, and that kind of sparked off a lot of activity activity, excuse me, in the Black Sabbath camp over the last few weeks. For example, in early March, we heard news that there is now an album aimed at children, which features <laughs> lullaby versions of Black Sabbath songs, and it's called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Rockstar. And on that, you can find lullaby versions of Paranoid, Iron Man, War Pigs, Children of the Grave, NIB, Planet Caravan, Heaven and Hell, Changes, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sweet Leaf. How far we have come from... Um, these people being deemed as Satanists to singing your children to sleep. Uh, but probably the less said about that, the better. But what we also found in early March was that um, the Jeff Nichols estate, which has been releasing some some of his own personal collection of, of cassettes he had recorded when he was in the band. So Jeff Nichols was doing keyboards in Black Sabbath for quite some time, but he also played bass and uh, some guitar in Black Sabbath during those turbulent times around heaven and hell when uh, geezer left and um, they didn't really know where they were going with the bass player or whatever um, Jeff Nichols has a lot of his own recordings that he recorded during the demoing and early rehearsal stages of the album Heaven and Hell and he's, his estate, Jeff, Jeff is dead obviously but his estate have started to release some of these songs, whoever has possession of the tapes and this has happened in the past um, you know, with other things being released by ex-wives or people who got things in a divorce, again as, as Joe will talk about um, in a later episode, but the Jeff Nichols estate initially released a, a demo version of the song Heaven and Hell which is slightly different to the one that ended up on the album and it was a very interesting curiosity um, and they also released a song called Slapback now to me this sounds like a rainbow track uh, it sounds like something that you would have heard on maybe Long Live Rock and Roll. And there was a bit of speculation initially about whether or not this song was actually Black Sabbath. But just for your own um, listening, I'm going to play a clip of it here. Just maybe assuming some of you may not have heard it. This is the song Slapback, which was allegedly recorded during the sessions for Heaven and Hell in 1979. <laughs>
have it slap back. Sounds kind of unfinished. Sounds quite like Rainbow. Sounds like it might not be Black Sabbath. Uh, but we'll return to that in a second. Um, but moving on, this must be one of the busiest months ever for Black Sabbath news. Uh, Geezer Butler was on uh, Eddie Trunk's show on Sirius XM on the 8th of March. And he claimed that he, inv- <laughs> he invented, or no, sorry, that's not right. He, he'd been doing the Devil Horns hand signature. Uh, since the early 70s, since 1971, and he, in fact, showed it to Ronnie James Dio. Uh, He said, I always used to do it in the breakdown in the song Black Sabbath, just before it goes into the fast part at the end. I do that sign to the audience. And on the first couple of Heaven and Hell tour shows, Ronnie was saying, when I'm going on stage every, every night, everybody is doing the peace sign to me, and that's an Aussie thing. I feel like I should be doing something back to them. And Geezer said, um, Ronnie asked him, what's the sign you do in the song Black Sabbath? And Geezer showed it to him. He showed him the devil horn sign, and then Ronnie started doing it from there and made it famous. Um, so after this made the news, as, as it would, of course it's going to. Didn't Gene Simmons try and copyright this signature, claiming that he, in fact, had invented it because he does it on the cover of Destroyer, albeit with his thumb held out? rather than with his thumb in the middle of his two middle fingers of his hand creating the whatever the hell it's called i can't remember what it's actually called the italian name or something anyway a geezer butler went on uh, twitter then he's like i always used it in the song black sabbath i merely shared it on stage uh with ronnie james dio he made it famous and it will always be associated with him regardless of what anyone else says also i do not want people to think that i was dissing ronnie in any way he was one of my dearest friends ever, and I will always miss him and our friendship. And I think that's well documented, the friendship between Ronnie and Geezer and his Geezer's wife. I know they visited Ronnie James Dio on his deathbed, like they were one of the last people to see him, if not the last couple of people to see him. But you'd wonder, why in 2021 would you decide to share that news story? Uh, you'd wonder, like, Geezer Butler is not a publicity hound. He's not somebody who courts the media at all. So why would you say something on a very prominent and very far-reaching radio show that's clearly going to make headlines all over the place? And then backtrack and say, um, I, regardless of what anyone says, it'll always be associated with Ronnie. Well, if you hadn't said anything, Geezer, no one would have been saying anything else. <laughs> but anyway, in, in the busiest news month for Black Sabbath, the, the news rolls on. In the same interview with Eddie Trunk, Geezer Butler confirms that Slapback is in fact a Black Sabbath song. He said, yeah, that was one of the songs that we did before I left, um, referring to the fact that he exited Sabbath before uh, before Heaven and Hell. It's probably the reason I did leave. It was just one of those songs that didn't make the grade. So we have confirmation there. Um, and then he said, yeah, it was right before I left. It was just a one-off thing. We just jammed it, and I didn't think anything more of it. It didn't really work. So Geezer Butler has confirmed that the song Slapback was indeed a Black Sabbath song. Very interesting. In a recent interview with the Mercury News, Tony Iommi was asked about the possibility of another Black Sabbath tour at some point. And he said, I wouldn't think so, but it's a strange thing with Sabbath. How many times have we thought we were with Ozzy? And then we had Ronnie and then we had Ozzy, and then Dio again, and then Ian Gillen, and then Tony Martin, and then Dio, and then back to Tony Martin. It's gone backwards and forwards at different stages, so you just never know. I think it's highly unlikely that we get back on stage again. It certainly wouldn't be touring. We'd only do so many shows of anything. But I would like to play with the guys again, 
but I can't see that happening. The reason we stopped touring in the first place was basically my fault because I had to be careful of my health. When you book a tour, and it's always an 18-month tour, uh, aside here, I don't think Sabbath have done an 18-month tour in years. It doesn't sound a lot when you book it at first, but then when you get out there and you are touring, it's bloody hard work. And it wasn't particularly good for my health because of the blood cancer. So I said, look, you know, this should be the last tour, I think. But I really do miss it. I really miss playing on stage. I miss seeing the audience. So Iomi is going for the um, the Motley Crue uh, approach here, or maybe it's the Guns N' Roses approach, or I don't know what it is, but it's the, or the Scorpions approach or the Judas Priest approach. Where the band breaks up, they say it's their final tour, and then slowly they start giving interviews to the press where they intimate that they would in fact like to play again and they would like to do a final show or a, a series of shows, not touring, a one-off show, and then this gradually builds and builds. You had Slash making really nice comments in the media to Axel Rose. Did Axel Rose wish Slash a happy birthday on Twitter or something? I can't remember, but there was a, there's this series of events that always happens. It was happening with Van Halen um, before Eddie Van Halen died. Actually, I think it was Sammy Hager who wished Eddie Van Halen uh, a happy birthday on Twitter. And that was actually, that got the ball rolling. They were going to do a tour called the Kitchen Sink Tour, where they were going to have Sammy Hager, David Lee Roth, uh, Gary Sharon, and every singer of Van Halen, and call it the Kitchen Sink Tours, and this is everything we've ever got, including the Kitchen Sink. Uh, and you, you see this playing out in, in the media, and it, it's 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 very interesting interesting to watch. And personally, anytime I see a band now announcing that it's the end, I don't believe them for a second, because the only thing that retires musicians is death. Um, and that's the, the, the other point I would like to make there, is that the only thing that I think would stop Black Sabbath from touring again is Ozzy Osbourne, funnily enough, not Tony Iommi, like he says. It was his fault they stopped touring. To me now, it's Ozzy Osbourne is the weak link. Um, I, like, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean physically he probably is um, unable to do it more so than the rest of them. Well, <laughs> and then you've got Bill, of course. So in Bill Ward's interview with uh, Eddie Trunk on Sirius XM, so Eddie Trunk has been interviewing the members of Black Sabbath recently in March, uh, Bill, uh, Eddie asked him if he was personally um, okay with Sabbath being done as a touring and recording entity. Um, and Bill said, well, I'm not done with the Black Sabbath legacy. I haven't been done. I was made done, but I'm not done. So the others might be done, but I'm not. But being realistic about that, as far as touring with Black Sabbath, I don't have the chops and I don't have the ability to drive a band like that on stage. I have to be back to 60 years old to be able to do that. Now, Bill is 72, bear in mind. And I remember when all of this stuff was going on about him not being given a signable contract and him claiming that he was perfectly healthy to do a Black Sabbath tour in 2012 and 13. Um, and he was offended that the group had said that he wasn't up to scratch, he wasn't physically fit enough. And now he's backtracking and saying he'd have to be 60 years old to have the physical chops to do a Black Sabbath tour. But he's 72 now, so 12 years ago, you're talking about 2009. All of this was happening in 2011 and 2012. So I don't understand Bill, to be honest. He's confusing at the best of times. Um, his health has been an issue really since the early to mid 80s. Uh, it's either his been, it's been his alcoholism or it's been other issues or he can't play with different singers or whatever. But it's it's very strange to hear him saying this now after the whole furore 
furore, I never know what that word, about the signable contract and the, 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 the war of words in the press, Jesus Christ, in the early 2010s between the band and Black Sabbath uh, and Bill Ward, sorry, um, and now he's coming out and saying this, that he doesn't have the chops, he's not physically fit and he couldn't have done it since at least when he was 60 years old, which is 12 years ago. Mad. And then we have Tony Iommi's interview on, on Eddie Trunk uh, on Sirius XM. This has given us loads of juicy gossip actually here. Thanks, Eddie. Um, but Tony Iommi said he was not happy at all about the release of the Ronnie James Dio era song, Slapjack, uh, or Slap Back, Jesus. And this is a quote from Tony. He says, I'm not happy at all with Nichols' estate releasing the song at all. And it's left a really bad taste in my mouth. At that point, when we did that, Jeff wasn't even involved in the band. I hadn't even got Jeff over at that time. That is actually Ronnie playing bass on that. And that was just in the lounge recorded on a cassette. That contradicts what Geezer Butler said, of course. Geezer said he did it just before they left. Tony's saying Ronnie played on it. I don't think that's going to cause a fucking world war in Black Sabbath at this late stage in the game. But it's interesting that people's memories are different. Um, but yeah, Tony's not happy about it. Then, in an interview that Tony Iommi did with Spin... Uh, he talks about the uh, potential of a Black Sabbath biopic. So these are all the rage lately. Obviously, we had the Queen one, the uh, Elton John one. We had the Motley Crue one. And now there's talk of a Black Sabbath one. He said, yeah, there was talk of it. And I don't know what happened. It sort of went out the window with all this COVID-19 thing. But we were talking about it probably 18 months ago, about doing the biopic. I haven't heard much else. Um, apparently inspired by the massive success of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. The band have considered doing it that would be an interesting biopic and i hope if they did do it they would tell the full story of black sabbath and not some bastardized version where ozzy joins or you know the ozzy lineup has their heyday dio joins dio leaves and they get back together with ozzy and they forget about everything that happened in between because like while that might not be for the casual audience the changing of singers and the breakups and the departures and the drugs and the fuck-ups to me are the most interesting part of the Black Sabbath story. So give it to us in two or three installments or a series and um, sell it to Netflix or something. I don't know. I think that would be absolutely fascinating if they gave it the proper treatment. Also revealed by Bill Ward in the busiest month of Black Sabbath news ever uh, is that he's working on an autobiography. Uh, he says it's not going to be like in 1968 we became famous and then we did this and then we did that. He says in the book I'm trying to be as careful about what I'm saying in order not to harm anybody. Either the reader or anybody else that I've ever made contact with in my life. Okay so no juice there. And right in the front of the book there's a great big notice to self which is do not discriminate or do not say undignified things about your fellows or anything else. So it's not going to be a dirt book that puts me right down way below everything else where the publishers or some publishers like it to be. I'm trying to write something that's dignified. He added, there are things in the book that are more pinpointed rather than all the other things about rock and roll. Things that are, to me, distasteful now. I have grandchildren, so I'm writing it more or less for the grandchildren, so they can understand that I work with some great men, some great players, some great musicians. I've worked with so many good musicians, and so far I still continue to do that. So I hope it'll be a book about being honourable and being worthwhile to other musicians and to interested readers. Um, so there you go. It's um, it's not going to be the dirt, just give me the dirt, from Bill. But it's interesting to see that he's releasing an autobiography, because... In a recent interview with Cleveland.com, Geezer Butler confirmed that he too is writing an autobiography. He says, I started out because when my parents died, I always wished I'd asked them a lot more things than I knew about. 
He said, I don't really know how much, uh, sorry, much about my mum and dad. Mum, ugh, I hate that word. Because they were always just there. So I started writing a memoir for my grandkids to read. And that's been fun going through stuff. Old times and growing up in Birmingham and all that. I'm right in the middle of doing that at the moment. Uh, fascinating that Geezer and Bill are going to complete the quadrilogy of Black Sabbath autobiographies. Um, but they took their time. They waited about 10 years after the dust to settle from well, I don't know if there was much dust with Tony's. The dust to settle for Mozzie's, maybe. Um, and they are now telling their side of the story. It's kind of like in Kiss. Uh, Gene Simmons had Kiss and Makeup. Um, then maybe it was Peter Chris, then Ace Fraley, and then Paul Stanley released his a bit later. So it should be interesting to read those, and I definitely will. And finally, uh, on Black Sabbath news that won't be featured in the arc because I conducted all my interviews before any of this came out, uh, Vinnie Apsey has mentioned that he thinks it's ridiculous that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did not induct him and Ronnie James Dio when they inducted Black Sabbath in 2006. This was in an interview with The Rock Experience with Mike Brunn and Vinnie says, how many bands have changed over the years? And some of the changes were important. Ronnie took Sabbath to a new level. At that point they needed it and we were both in the band so they should do an extended band thing up to a certain point I guess. He said, as far as I'm concerned, it was the original Sabbath and the Dio-fronted version of Sabbath Together with Bill Ward and with me. He played on Heaven and Hell, I played on Mob Rules and the rest of them. The most important albums. There was a lot of versions of Sabbath after that and they were a little different. So he's making the distinction that after him, the versions aren't important, which is interesting and maybe egotistical. But he does raise a good point in saying that Ronnie James Dio transformed Black Sabbath. It's something I said a while back. I'm sure Vinny was probably listening to Fake and Metal a few weeks ago and, and formed his opinions based on that. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. So much news there from Black Sabbath. None of that's covered in the arc, really, because it just goes from the early albums up to about the time of 13. Uh, and then that's about it, really. And I don't even speak to everybody about 13 because not everybody had uh, anything to say or something to say about that. Um, but this has been really enjoyable going through all that news. I, I enjoy scouring the internet for this stuff. Um, that's going to do it for episode 0 0.75 of the Black Sabbath arc. I swear no more teasers. The next episode will be part one of the arc properly. Um, and it's going to do it for episode 25 of Feckin' Metal. I have been your host, Fergal Trainer, and I will see you at the start of Ark Sabbath. Thank you.